63% of tech leaders say that improving customer success is among their most important priorities for 2023. Low churn, good retention, lots of upsells and cross-sells is the strategy that many of Belkin's clients employed in 2023. Why? Uh, have you seen the cost of a new client's acquisition? It's skyrocketing high. It doesn't mean that you need to stop investing into marketing and new sales. No, it means that customer success is the cost-effective strategy for new revenue generation. Today, I'm joined by Cynthia Silva, Customer Success Manager for NASDAQ and a business strategist. Today, we talked all about customer success, how to deliver value as CSM, how to win champions and build the joint success plan. This episode is a bit technical, but I promise you, like with every episode in this season, it will lead you to growth. Okay? Now, thank you and enjoy the episode. I've checked and about 50% of our current clients had informed us that for this quarter and for last quarter, they primarily focused on uh, retaining their customers and growing their current relationships, right? They didn't want to do a lot of acquisition. They optimized their marketing budgets and they put all that budget into their customer success team and into, uh, you know, into retaining and growing their current um, accounts. and. We even lost a few customers that said, hey, sorry, guys, we just really wanted to push for our existing businesses. We, we don't, we're not looking for new clients at this point, obviously, because the, the sales cycle are, are longer and because companies are you know, saving on some of those budgets. So I was thinking, hey, I should talk about this with Cynthia on, on, this, uh, on this podcast, considering your background and considering your current a role as a customer success, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds good. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Oh, now, awesome. I think your conversations yeah, so, with your clients are the same as a lot of others. So there you go. Absolutely. Right. So tell me this, how should companies approach customer success if they decided to kind of focus more in that direction? Although they had that, but now they say, Hey, this is our priority at this point. How should they, what they should they, how does it actually work? Well, that's a good, it's a good question. I mean, I think that in terms of um, implementing customer success programs, you know, it's, you know, I should, it's usually more like uh, the, the C-suite will say, hey, um, we're a SaaS business, we should probably have, or we have like a, a subscription service, we should probably have customer success. That's what happens a lot. And they're like, let's hire people and let's start it. Um, unfortunately, that happens a lot. But I think the, like a better approach would be to say, let's look at our customer base, right? I think, you, I think you're absolutely right. Like wanting to retain customers is is always um, something that companies are looking to do, but especially now with you know, the economy so shaky. Um, so what, one of the first things that I would definitely recommend and things that, that we look at um, on an ongoing basis are things like customer segmentation. So look at your existing book of business, right? And say, okay, where do our customers fall? Like what verticals do they fall in? What sort of like um, groups do we have? And then how do we want to serve them? And there's a lot of discussion right now in customer success too about, about you know, digital frameworks and how to scale teams and how to scale um you know, the way that we interact with, with our customers. Um, and so essentially you need to look at, you know, obviously which is closest to your ICP, your ideal client profile, and they're going to probably get like a more higher touch experience because, you know, they're, they're probably your largest customers that can benefit the most and where the most growth opportunities are. And then from there, you'll need to kind of segment them through to look at, you know, and, and I think a lot of times it's, it's based on ARR, which I get it, the, the clients that pay the most are typically probably in the ICP, but not always. So you need to 
see where they fall um, with the ARR and also with the vertical itself and also the use case. And again, it depends as well and the complexity of the solution. If your solution was widgets, this might not be such a hard exercise. If you have a more complex solution or anything in between, you really need to look at those um, you know, scenarios to, to, first of all, decide how you want to reach out to the customer, what kind of a blend you want to have, high, mid to low touch, digital touch. Um, I think digital could work across all of the verticals, really. Uh, but but those, that's like the starting point. And then you bring CSMs to say, hey, um, these, are, these are some of the ways we want to start engaging with the customers and then look at different strategies and tactics from there. Typically, when um, I'm I'm thinking about like hey, focusing on customer success uh, again to bring more revenue to the organization, uh, I'm thinking about two different options. Either I'm going um, horizontally and I say hey, I'm trying to cross sell and add other products to an existing customer, or another option, I'm like hey, I wanted that one customer to pay more for the services that we already have in that lane, so they can upgrade the packages, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so Obviously, I cannot do both at the same time, right? So, um, in your opinion, um, what should I focus first, right? Should I cross-sell uh, my existing customers uh, with the new product or try to upsell them um, for the existing products uh, just for, for, you know, for kind of more revenue that it can generate for me? Oh, it's, it's like the million dollar question, isn't it? Right. Because you're right. There are, it's, it's like expansion or cross sell and ideally both. Right. But you're right. right. You don't want to, you want to have your activities focused. And I think that's such a good question because I think when you're, when you're talking about your, your ICPs, those, those are the kind of clients that they're so perfect for you. They're so right, the right fit that they would probably, first of all, you're probably looking at ways to expand and having, um, you know, conversations with them to learn more about their broader business goals, which quite frankly, every CSM should be doing with every client to just try to have not just are you using all the features, you know, on um, what's what's kind of a longer vision outside of even what we do so you see where you fit and where you can grow. But, but particularly with the ICP, if they're perfect for us, our cross-sell solutions are probably going to be a good fit. And if not for this, our specific contact or stakeholder, it could be for a related one. So I think that for, for the ICPs, the cross sells actually probably make the most sense. And then for, for everyone else, you want to like, again, as you kind of scale down from the perfect customer to like farther away from the ICP, um, you want to have those conversations, asking about their broader business goals, um, what they're looking to accomplish. And then obviously, also internally wanting to make sure that your, your CSMs know, well, what are the other products in, in the basket, in the portfolio solutions? Sometimes that's tricky because there could be dozens, right? And so what, what are, then you have right. to kind of focus, what are the, the top three to five that would be, you know, like the, the sweet spot and cross-sell opportunities and then expand from there. Um, explain me this. Um, when clients say, hey, I wanted to focus more budget into customer success. I wanted to streamline the revenue in there because I think that that's going to bring us more success right now. What do they actually mean? How, what do I spend money on customer success besides the, uh, you know, having the team, having all the tools? Are there any sort of like promotions or some things that you can do with customers, spend money on that, and that it can, it can bring you more business? Some kind of like ABM type of uh, success uh, campaign or something. I love that ABM success campaign. I like that. Um, well, no, that's actually a great question. And I think a lot of times when clients say that, when they say, or, or you know, like companies say that, they're like, hey, we want to focus all of our revenue activities with the CSM is because there's a lot of overlap between account management and CSM. 
And depending on the size or stage of the company, you could be wearing multiple hats because, you know, with a startup, you know, you're, I've been there, you've worn the different hats. And so you're doing a lot more. And then when you start kind of progressing through the different stages of company growth, you know, it starts to get a little bit more individualized. Um, a lot of the situations I've seen where, where, where there's that, that, that conversation about let's focus CS um, and put budget in there for them to take on the, um, you know, like the renewals, upsells, cross-sells are when there is a lot of overlap with the AM. And, and really the whole point of customer success is, is to add value. That's, that's like, we always say that, how do we add value? How do we add value? Um, and obviously, you want to be that that um, you know a strategic um, consult consultative advisor to them, uh, and I think because we you know CSMs try to stay close to the clients, understand you know how our solutions fixing their immediate problems, and then also looking at the broader goals. That's that's owning a lot of the relationship or understanding a lot about that relationship. And as long as we're documenting that in a CRM somewhere and looking at the trends and analysis, we can really stay, you know, really have our finger on the pulse in terms of where that white space is and, and also where the sweet spots are in terms of, of how to serve clients. If something's working for one client, it's, it's you know, nine times out of 10, it's going to work for everyone else in that vertical. So right. I, that's where I think that kind of comes to play. All right. Um, are there any... Let's say budget uh, budget needed uh, campaigns or initiatives that CSMs can uh, utilize to increase the retention, or it's a purely one-to-one work with the customer. Or the, in your experience, have you guys done something? Maybe some of your folks from your you know for, from your network have done some you know some kind of paid campaigns to be able to uh, engage customers more. Um, I'm just thinking, hey, maybe like on-site visits, just flying over to client office, working with them, working on that kind of joint success plan with them, taking them on, uh, taking them out for a restaurant for a dinner. I don't know, like it, it, anything that that I can spend my money on with with CSM team to be able to kind of work on that retention. Oh my goodness! Um, first of all, I love where your head's at because <laughs> I think I think that is that, that now that we can be together in real life. Yes, go be with your customers. Take them to dinner, go have a coffee, go meet with them at their office, invite them to your office if you're in the same city. I love all those things. And that's a way that's I think, honestly, when it's like strategic um, clients, um, it's money well spent. But I also think other ways to leverage budgets would be to partner with, um, you know, like the marketing team because they have like ABM strategies. Um, And so essentially they're they'll be they're they're great partners and it's a great way to share knowledge resources and also share wins internally because part of the part of the thing right. with customer success you know you want to like it, it's you know everybody's you know or one of the things we like to say is you know customer success is a company goal right so we need to work together that's a great way to collaborate a good starting point is with marketing and also too i think one of the other ways is like um a way that's becoming much more popular and i think it's not it's going to continue to be popular is the, the leveraging of communities so if you establish communities on you know a knowledge base or, or something like that where your clients can speak with each other and like say, hey, you know, um, you know, can have webinars on there, share like, um, you know, whatever, like new uh, information about features or Q&As, FAQs, all those things. Um, I think that's really going to be uh, a great tool. That, and I think it's going to continue to grow because clients always want to know what their competitors are doing. What are the best practices? And that's a way that they can engage together. Right. Hey, I, I wanted us to go back for a second. Uh, you mentioned that and I didn't think that there's a difference. Like you mentioned, there is account managers and there are customer success managers. So what's the, what's the difference? I always thought that it's one role. It's just, uh, you know, some people are calling account managers, some calling our CSM, or these are totally different functionalities that those folks do. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy you said that. Cause yeah, there's a lot of confusion. There really is. So, so again, I mean, um, there's a lot of overlap, but really they're, they're two different roles and, and it, again, it really depends on the structure of the company, the stage and the complexity of a product. And I'll tell you why. So, um, you know, account managers um, oftentimes are looking at retention. They're definitely focused on renewals and they're definitely looking at expansions. And really, right. so are CSMs. Now, um, so I think it really depends on, on again, like the size of the company, complexity of the product in particular, because if you have a more complex product, then you, like with a CSM, could be more of the subject matter expert. So they're delivering value in that way and then gaining insights and can get, like, just dig a little deeper in terms of, like, like the... Um, you know, get into the weeds with the customers in terms of like the solution and the sort of things that they're trying to um, establish from a technical perspective. They can do that, mm-hmm. but they can also do, they could also still do renewals as well. Um, and I think on the account management right. side, it's, it's typically aligned with the sales team uh, and it would do those things. But, but again, I don't, it would normally not have, um, you know, anything to do with, um, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, like really subject matter expertise. They bring someone else in for that. Right. Uh, should I have a certain uh, ACV or certain um, revenue or size in my organization to be able to have both account managers uh, and C- CSMs? When should I start bringing on CSMs into the, yeah, the house? Yeah, that's, that's such a great question. I think, you know, with, with startups, I think wearing the wearing of the different hats is is really the way to go. You have to, you know, like if you can find people that, that can, can pretty much do it all, become the evangelist right. for your product go deep on the product, be able to engage with the clients, understand how to have those discovery calls with them to, to really uncover what their longer term goals and how they're leveraging your tools for use cases and things you can share with marketing. Uh, and then as you continue to grow, I mean, I think it's a great, it's a great question about the ACV. I mean, I, I guess it really just depends because, you know, um, there could be a very simple product that costs, you know, the the ARR is something like know, ten thousand, and there's other right. you know ARR that's a hundred thousand a year. So what's what's the break there? And I and I, I think that yeah. um, it would be as as we like to say in CS, it depends. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, you know people behind the process, who the CSMs are, and I specifically wanted to dig deep into your own transition, right? Because you transitioned from sales into customer success not that long ago, and Although in customer success, you need to know how to sell, right? Like it's a sales job as well, right? You always yes. present yourself, your organization, uh, you build relationships like you do in sales. However, you also need to have a different set of skills, right? So how, how did you approach the transition from, from a learning standpoint? Who guided you and who, what helped you in that, um, in that sort of like discovery phase? Yeah, that's such a great question. Yeah, the bulk of my career has been in sales. Uh, and really, uh, when I pivoted this, you know, my, my current role at NASDAQ is is my first pivot to CS. And also, I was brought in to help launch the team. So it was an amazing, unique opportunity. And and really, you know, a couple of things. What what really kind of caused me to, to make that switch was, um, you know, I've been dealing with, with customers, you know, again, for the bulk of my career, love the, to build the relationships. And what I noticed, the, the, the part that I was the most successful at and that I enjoyed was cultivating the relationships that I already had. Because I like to have those conversations. I like to get in the weeds with the customers. And then I like to, to deliver for them while managing their expectations. I never promise anything I can't deliver. And that's like a faux pas in sales. Never, never do that. Um, and so as I was, you know, like with, with tech and like all this craziness of pandemic and, you know, um, 
you know, being lo locked down. Remember lockdown? How crazy was that? All the different changes. I, I actually started leveraging communities myself, you know, so I'm, I'm part of sales, marketing, and CS communities to just say, hey, how is everybody adapting in, in this environment so that, you know, obviously you can position yourself to win wherever you are. And the more I started engaging with these communities in CS, I was like, you know what, I think the post-sale motion um, is where I will have the runway to develop those relationships. And, and again, I, um, I think it was, um, I can't remember who it was, I was at a webinar, and it was talking about the, the sales funnel, not just a funnel, it's a bow tie. And so the funnel comes in, but the growth is on the other side. It's that expansion cross-sell upsell uh, and keeping customers you know, with us. And so that's really what caused me to, um, to, to make that decision. And by leveraging the communities, following the thought leaders on LinkedIn, um, you know, reading books, going to webinars, all the, and I still do that, by the way, I still do it because what I've found was, you know, you start to, once you start, you know, reading content and following thought leaders, you start to recognize what the trends are, the things that are important and, and what, and then I thought about how it relate to me with my experience and I, I, it was completely transferable. And so when I made my transition and, and you know, came to ultimately to NASDAQ, um, you know, my, that's question everybody I talked to said, well, why from sales to this, why do you want to do it? And it was that ability to have that play that long game with the client, uh, and my, my skills are hundred percent transferable. We've had a lot of success since I've been uh, been able to you know kind of implement some of my ideas. Hey, can you give me uh, one or two um, shocking learnings that you um, kind of discovered uh, only after you've done the transition? <laughs> shocking learnings. Oh well, that that's that's a loaded question. Let me think about this. Um, well, you know what? Ultimately, um, I don't know how shocking it is, but I think it was a reminder to me. Um, you know, I found this at small companies and at big companies. Um, but when, especially launching a new team like the, the customer success team, trying to get alignment across the different teams, you know, was surprising um, how hard it can be sometimes because, you know, you really do have to take the time. You have to play the long game on that, yeah. you know, to kind of have people understand what the role was, was something new, you know, like, okay, this is what we're meant to do. There was a lot of confusion, kind of what you asked about, uh, Michael, about and what's the difference between mm -hmm. an AM and a CSM? Where do you come in? Um, that was sort of like, that was, that was kind of took me back, but that was like, Perfect. This is what you do when you're in sales. You multi-thread accounts. You're like you're having right. different stakeholders and champions throughout the company. And that's exactly what what you know, I just stepped, it took me back by surprise for a second. And I'm like, wait a minute. And that's it was it was about when someone was confused or when we were looking at ways to kind of expand certain um, programs to help launch launch the CSM team. Um, it was a lot about in, internal education that we wanted to translate, have a consistent message for the external clients. So I don't know if that was shocking um, because there's silos everywhere, unfortunately. But um, I was, uh, yeah. I was definitely wanting to put my sales hat back on. But that's so important. I, um, I again, I wanted to highlight this that cross-functional communication is one of the most important things right now ever. Like. I've talked with several executives and they all hands-on said that if they wanted to do something differently, if they go back in their early days, that they would work on their cross-functional communication. Cross-functional communication, that's something that my team is working on right now. My Our uh, our newly appointed HRD came in and said, hey guys, I see that you guys, uh, there's a lack of cross-functional communication between the different leaders within the organization, within different departments. That's something you need to work on. And this is so important. And without it, 
um, you know, you gotta be efficient, right? With the way you build your go-to market, right? In, in any way, shape or form. So I think that it's so interesting that you brought it up because at the end of the day, it's so basic, right? It's like, yeah, it's obvious, but it's so shocking because like you don't necessarily think about that on a daily basis, especially when you are hands-on working on, on this. She's like, hey, am I good in the cross-functional communication actually, right? Or I suck at it. Yes. So, huh. <laughs> well, no, it's, and it's a really good point because you're right. You think you're, you're like, hey, I'm communicating with everybody. But, but if you really, it's like any sort of change management, which is also in the CSM's you know, wheelhouse of like trying to get customers to adopt. You need internal players to adopt too. And how do you do that? It's you're the one that needs to kind of you know, extend that line of communication, bring them in, and also be willing to do the dirty work because sometimes it really is like I've done a ton. Like I, I, I used to say, God, I hate data, but I love insights. So you know, it's about getting into CRM and right. pulling down those reports, yeah. right? And saying, well, what, where's the, hey, I see white space here. What about maybe resegmenting in this way or that way? And when you start talking like that, you're going to get the attention of marketing and sales and they're going to be, they're going to want to share those wins. And it's great to share wins. It doesn't have to be just about you. You know, that's how you get things done. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that, again, we, we, we say communication, but it's actually collaboration, right? It's about how many projects I have with that, that team or that team? Do I have anything or I'm working in a closed loop environment, right? Like I'm closed up from them. So if I'm in, in sales, how many projects I have with collaborating with marketing or with customer success or with the development or with the product team? Do I have ongoing? If I don't have, then wait, here, there's a problem, right? We should work on, on things. And there's so many things that we can work on. So let's create some collaborations between those departments, right? Hey, so to move on, um, I saw an interesting post that you did probably, I think a month ago or so, a month ago, and you open up with this question that I wanted to us to, to ponder on for, for a second here. You, you said that, how do you deliver value as a customer success manager? And I love that. It's a great question. How do you deliver value, right? So um, this is my question to you, Thintia. How do you deliver value as a customer success manager? Oh, yes. It's like it's like the million dollar question. And there's just there's not just one way to do it, um, but it's so important. And, and the number one, the number one thing when you, when you ponder that question is not what I think value is, what the customer thinks value is, what's valuable to them. And that's why, you know, like you mentioned joint success plans, critical, critical discovery calls. When you, when you're first starting with them, I could actually consider every call at the customer discovery call, quite frankly, like what's happening, what's changed since the last time we spoke, but, but things like joint success plans are a great way to say, Hey, you know, um, here we are, you know, you've done, you know, you've, you've, you've the team's gotten up to speed with our solution. You've done this or that, these sort of things. What are you looking at for the next quarter? What are some of the value milestones? What are the things you want to achieve and agree with it together? That's, and then once you make that agreement and then, and then you know, you share it um, and then you monitor it uh, and then the, at the next, you know, joint success, whatever it's at a quarter or half year, however it might be, depending on the client, um, then you can say, you can say, hey, look at these things we accomplished. That's like a, a great, great way to just you've established them and you've hit them. Or if you haven't, you both know why, because you've been in communication with them. Like that's mm -hmm. that's like one of the best ways to deliver value. But also too, you know, think about it. If there's like a there's been a, a feature the update that's that's really specific to a customer, customize it to some extent. And again, depending on your book of business, you can't customize as much. It might might need to be scaled customization, which sounds 
sounds like an oxymoron, but right. you know, like it might help a whole vertical. Tell them that something something very specific. If there's a white paper that you think would be interesting that your company's released, don't dump the white paper on them. Say, pull out a paragraph or sentence, say, hey, I saw this in the white paper we just released. I thought this is interesting. Let me know if you want the whole white paper. I'll send it to you. Those sort of things where you're like looking at them and they're feeling like they're being seen, like you're not just like auto generating something like that that's for has nothing to do with them. That's how you deliver value. And that's when clients reach out to you like proactively to say, hey, there's been a change. Can, can we get a training session for this person or work? can we get them credentials to get to your knowledge base? Oh, by the way, we're entering new markets. Can, can we talk about that? for me ding 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 that's that's an opportunity where i'm going to bring my account manager in or or our salesperson in to talk about those upsells cross sales Mm. so when we talk about the joint success plan what is that is that a like a one pager with like a checklist or it's a report it's a presentation it's an email so if i am a a certain customer success uh team leader and we don't have that joint success plan in motion right now. So where do I start from? And then how would that look that kind of final product? Oh, yes. See, now me, I'm personally a fan of the one pager. (laughs) That's me. However, it can be more complex because if you've got an enterprise account, if you've got like an account that's very complex, that's, that's leveraging numerous aspects and projects, that could be more pages and that could be more you know, deeper, deeper data sets. So I don't want to say no to DEX. And again, for more enterprise complex clients, however, for your mid to, you know, SMB to mid tier clients, those sort of things, I say a one pager and and maybe if it spills into two pages, that's fine. Um, I know I, I'm leveraging one right now um, that, that uh, Jan Young actually um, shared. I think she shared it with everybody on her CS office hours, but basically it's like a one pager that sits matrix. It's just saying like, here's the stakeholders that everybody they're going to talk to. Um, here's like the area that you like maybe milestones um, and then like some outcomes, some risks, timelines, and then you send it to the client ahead of the joint success plan so they can see it. Here's this one pager. This is what I want to talk to you about on the meeting. So you're not just hitting them cold. Now, hopefully they've looked at it. If they didn't, it doesn't matter. At least you are transparent, but then you have like a very, very defined, um, you know, kind of outline that you at least started and, and then you just go go through it with them. Um, these are the things that I thought, does that in line? Did I miss anything? Did, should we tweak something? Again, that's where people come together. And when there's that level of coordination and thought ahead of time, clients like that. They're like, okay, you're trying to help me succeed, especially if you're a leader. Like, how can we get everybody on the team to kind of succeed? Is this plan going to help my team get there? Who's going to say no to that? And then again, that's how you, you know, again, with a very defined, uh, you know, template start starting point um you know that's really i think the way to uncover what's important to the customer i mean in the end you might want to use um you know have things i think you're going to want to have things in your back pocket too like usage data because um i think the usage data is all it's mostly about us like hey we we use it enough but if the team leader might say hey i want to see because if someone's struggling that's an opportunity to train. Let's figure that out. So like you want to have certain things like that, other metrics, um, you know, in the back pocket. Um, but that's, some, uh, I think the one pages are a great starting point. Yeah. So on the top, um, just to summarize, we have stakeholders, then you have milestones, then you have outcomes. Uh, what do I include? What else? Well, like potential risks or whatever, or, or like roadblocks, okay. right? Because like, like maybe they roadblocks. have, like they want to have like a, some, 
Yeah. So it'd be mm-hmm. like something like they want to accomplish something that might take like, you know, um, three to six or nine months, but they have a, their own rollout that's happening. Is that going to be a roadblock? Like during that time yeah. frame, like let's, let's adjust for it. Let's, what are, what can we do up to that point? And then when that happens, what can we do around that point? So it's just sort of like, you know, or, or the roadblock could be someone just left, right? We're ready to, we're waiting to hire somebody. So, so those sort of things that kind of take into account. And then that gives you, I mean, it's, it's, gold for both the customer and yourself, because now you've got like, um, you know, more insight into what's important to them. Hey, so um, you mentioned expectations, and this is something that I know my team struggles a lot, because when you have that joint success plan, there's always some expectations from client. Hey, this is something that we expect, et cetera. But then those expectations are very, sometimes they're just, uh, taken out of the sky or let's say they're very I would let's say that differently they're very opportunistic or inspirational <laughs> right like hey we want that right that not necessarily needs to be a reality so I uh, do you have any tips uh for uh, customer success managers those that wanted to manage customer expectations um what would you what you, what recommendation would you give them Oh my goodness. That is such a great question, Michael, because um, managing expectations is the number one thing, not just CSMs, SDRs, sales, marketing, everybody, anyone who's facing a customer should be definitely, um, you know, not over promising for sure. And you're right. Customers will be like, I want blah, 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 blah. It doesn't exist. Like, and, and on it, you, you really do have to just like, listen, I always like, like right. write things down. Like what, like this, just even for myself, for my CRM notes, like they want it, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Oh my God. And I'll just say, got it. Listen, um, that's not something we have uh, available that, or that's not going to be possible right now, or that's not something that usually happens. Cause sometimes right. too, like a customer who is, um, you know, at a really basic uh, plan yeah. might want a really premium option. And it's like, well, if you paid 10 times as much, you might be able to get access to X, Y, Z, right? right? And that might not right. make sense for their day-to-day business. So you sort of, you do have to be able to push back, but in a professional way, this is a business conversation. I think sometimes people mix up uh, relationship management with friends, you know what I mean? And not that I'm not friends with so many of my clients. Well, I'm, I know many, many wonderful clients that are, are that I do consider friends, but it's still a business conversation. And the la- the worst thing you can do is, is to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, just say that's if you know something's absolutely not possible, just squash it there. But in a very professional manner, it's just something that's not available. I'll make a note of this because you never know if enough people request it. You know, maybe the product team would, would launch the X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. Um, but at this stage, no. Um, or, you know, maybe it's something that you do know internally they are considering saying like this stage is not available, but let me, let me bring it up, you know, because and, um, it's just something that we can feedback, we can share with our team. That's the way you can kind of diffuse it while still saying no, because if you say maybe, or probably, or, you know what I mean? But- like, We've done stuff like this before. Just be super, super careful because, you know, it's better to come back later and say, by the way, that thing, that's possible now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Um, I know that my team to retain some of those strategic rest accounts, they always have a, I would say like a champion within the organization. And I wrote, I know you wrote about it as well. Um, right. And I wanted to bring the up or bring this up just to, um, emphasize on the importance of having that champion within the client organization and trying to win that, right? So the question to you, so in your terminology, who is that champion from the client's end and, and how do you win one? And how do you win one? 
Oh, yeah. First of all, we should all be looking for champions at every single account and not just one. This goes back to multi-threading, right? We want to find because what if our champion leaves? Oh, our champion is now gone, right? Um, so, so number one, always be looking for champions. Um, and number two, multiple champions if you can. If it's a small account, sometimes that's not possible. Um, but the way, the, the, for me, the starting point for identifying champions is who are the super users? Who's the, who are the ones that are like leveraging the tools? They're adopting, you know, th that's like the, I start right. with use, start with the data, right? Like, okay. And then, and then talk to them. Uh, and then ultimately what you want to do is, work closely with them, you know, um, understand again, what, what they're not just what the goals are in terms of them being able to use the solution um, to its full potential, which of course you want, but also, you know, Hey, would you be interested in we're, we're doing um, a webinar or we're doing a panel? Would you, would you maybe want to be on that panel? And again, this would have to be probably somebody um, who, you know, at a specific level, each company can determine that. That's like a way to, to develop champions because you're creating visibility for those people. Do you want to get access? We're doing beta testing on this new UI. You know what I mean? You know, would you, would your, you know, you and the team want to do that? But giving but people love to have first access, right? And again, very, very strategic, right? So it's like if we're if we start, we're looking at the data of their super users, we're looking maybe at the ICPs and then kind of moving down. Um, and then and I think it needs to be sort of a sliding scale of things. Because maybe at the smallest you can't necessarily want to offer like a panel role, right? Or you know, or a beta testing, but maybe you would, because maybe that's like the least riskiest client that might make this, the, the new beta or the new UI might might fit for. But you have to be creative in that respect because I, you know, if you create visibility uh, and you create access, those are really, really good starting points. And also too, the, the, the hidden um, uh, benefit of champions as well, if you are launching a community um, for your users, those super users, they can get first access to that and start talking to each other. Oh my God, who doesn't want first access to that and to other to other clients and help build something, right? And they're the ones that you could, can start. Like again, if you have your community, they're the ones that can start engaged because you want you don't want the community. The community, no one's on it; it's dead, right? But if you've got your super users writing comments or sharing, at, you know, best practices, whatever it is, uh, and they're happy because they got first access and maybe they've got a little input all sorts of things that that's how you can start. Um, but it's, it's very, very basic. Start with the data. True. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. One of the posts I remember that stuck with me was that you wrote that, Hey, you have that champion within the organization. They, they like, you know, they're raving fans. You have a great relationship. They're supporting you, et cetera. But that sometimes those champions are leaving the organization, right? So you don't have that supporter anymore. And very often you kind of rely only on that champion to, you know, to help you to retain those accounts, right? Um, so question is, I, and again, um, you've mentioned this already in that post, but I wanted listeners to have an opportunity just to, to have, to have a, a thought about this as well and just think about this. So. Although I have a champion in the organization, how should I build the relationship and what kind of engagement should I have with other stakeholders or with other users that are in that process, not just the, the, the champion, not to make the mistake, you know, putting all eggs into one basket, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, it's, it's critical. It's absolutely critical. Um, well, two things. And when a champion leaves, it's, it could be, and you only had the one, it could be horrible unless they go to another company and then they champion your product. That that's And that's right. the long-term benefit of a champion, by yeah. the way, because that happens. And that's amazing. All of a sudden, you know, you've got like a new business that you didn't do anything because 
you've already done the stuff on the other side. Right. However, if that's the only one, you're really in a bind. So really, while you're developing, um, when, when you identify, let's say, the super users, and this can be tricky because at small accounts, maybe there is just one user. Then you're really like, that. that's, that's like a quandary that, it's hard to do. But if there's more than one user, if there's like two or three or whatever, um, while you're engaging with your super user, always include the others. Like, right? Like, hey, um, we have, we're rolling out this new UI. Do you want to demo? I'd love the team to have it. Can we get Joni too? I, you know, Joni and Johnny or whoever it is, let's get them all in. Because if they start to feel included, um, you know, then then I think that becomes more, you know, like a bigger issue. And then also too, if there's events that we're hosting, don't just invite your champion, invite the others and make sure to engage all of them. So I think it really just becomes about inclusion. And I think the the limits are, again, like, you know, um, I think the only roadblocks I've seen in that instance is if the teams are just so small. If there's just one, you're sort of stuck. Um, and, and, I would, and I would focus on it. But if you have like larger teams, again, if you're dealing with enterprise accounts, it could be teams of 20, 30, many more. I would, I would hone in on three to five at, at that place because it gets too exhausting. Because if you really are trying to personalize that contact, um, it, it could just it be it could be too hard unless you know you have like really good notes. <laughs> yeah, so true. Hey, I wanted to talk next about you. Uh, so you started your career in banking at KeyBank, then you went for work for Wells Fargo, then you moved to um, IQPS, then um, um, IHS Market, then Spire. Now you're at Nasdaq. So the question is, and it's a tricky one, um, but I think you would love that. How how to succeed in a corporate America? Because while well, oh. you've succeeded, <laughs> that is oh, that's a loaded question. Um, well, or how to survive? No, no, teasing, teasing. Okay. I like your I like your frame better. I like succeed better. Um, yeah, you know it's interesting because I've worked at a lot of big companies and I have had peppered some startups in there too. Um, honestly, I was just talking about this with my with my boss yesterday. Um, I think. Earlier in my career, I um, was really wanted to stay under the radar. I mean, I was working at big banks and um, it's very, you know, there's, there's a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of silos and I was really just under the radar. And it was a, um, I just got so lucky that people took me under their wings and kind of became mentors that I didn't ask for. <laughs> and I was like, thank God, you know, to help me, you know, kind of navigate the job and and corporate life. Um, what I would do now, for sure, is actively look for mentors and internal sponsors that can help you grow in your career. Um, people that, because you'd be very, very surprised. Like I tried to keep myself small and I missed many opportunities because I'm certain that there are a lot of people that want to help others. You know, as you move through your career, you learn a lot, you make a lot of mistakes, you have a lot of successes. And when there are people like early in their journey, you want to share those, those, that knowledge with them. So you, in your journey, um, you know, as you, and it doesn't even matter what stage you're in your career. I think right. actively looking for mentors and I, I have mentors and sponsors and I hire coaches, um, all those things. I think that's the way that you're first of all going to get the confidence. You're going to get you're going right. to get the right guidance and you're going to get the confidence and you have the knowledge. And again, through communities too. like I, I don't care what sector you're in. I guarantee you there's a community. 
Absolutely. And you go into that community, you're going to find people just like you. So the same challenges, uh, the same successes or the same things, successes you want to have. So I think it's ultimately, I guess, really, it's so simple. Leveraging your network, being super mm-hmm. intentional and thoughtful about about making the um, contact with people, um, trying to add value, mm-hmm. kind of like we we're talking about it. So like, you know, connecting with others and expanding your network um, is very much like, yeah. you know, finding champions, cultivating champions. How can you deliver value to them? Right. You know, if you see an event, you think they might like, tell them about it. You see a blog that they might like or an article, send it to them. Um, and that's how you kind of exchange that value and people want to start working with you. And as a result, what I have found is that when you are so intentional and you're like curious and you soak it in and you support others, if somebody's not at a webinar, I'm going to attend that webinar if I can make it. I'm going to do all those things and they're going to do that for me. Uh, and you're going to get the most interesting people are going to invite you to, to work on interesting projects um, and, and you're going to have many, many more opportunities. So I think for, for corporate America or any any company for just personal upskilling, there's so many opportunities, but it starts with you. You're the only one. Like you have to just like step out. And again, it's so easy, so easy to just be small, but you're never going to have a fulfilled life. And all the money in the world isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to make you happy unless you're really, really seeking your passion, fulfilling it, and, and really engaging with other people in that way. Because it's going to be, you're going to get the best opportunities that way, I guarantee you. Your early career versus your current yourself. Um, how do you differently pro- do you differently approach your uh, your positions right now, your responsibilities? Anything uh, you know you would kind of anything you could think and then kind of go back to the early days and say, hey, this is what I done differently versus here's how things should be done now. Mm. Well, yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, well, early in my career, I definitely was. Um, very afraid to share ideas. You'd be very surprised because people are like, oh my God, you have like you're such a strong personality. I'm like, I had that strong personality, but I just made myself small. I would never share an idea. And I definitely didn't want to be in the spotlight. Um and I think I missed an awesome opportunity. So I had some people that were would have um would have definitely like wanted to help me see them, you know, come to light. And there are certain instances they're not. So I think the biggest thing that I've learned and where I've succeeded the most um, in any given role was the leaders. And this is a tough one, Michael, because um, how do you interview for a good leader? <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out because because a middle manager, who a guy who just wants to be in charge versus a leader who elevates the team, who like sees, wants people who are different, with different opinions, with different ideas, lets you take a risk. That is where you're going to propel yourself. Like, and, and, and I, it's a tough one. And that, this is why internal like mentors and internal sponsors are important because that'll, you'll start to see that in like, um, in, uh, once you start having those conversations where you're feeling empowered, you'll start noticing who those people are at work or in communities or things of that sort. But that's what I think I wish I'd, I'd leveraged more was first of all, not being afraid, just, just raise your hand and share your idea. I would never, I wouldn't do it. I would not do it. I have great ideas in my head and I would, and then someone else would raise the idea. Oh, I wanted to die when that would happen. And it happened a lot. And so whose fault is that? right here. I own it. But now, no way. Now I, and again, I have a great leader now. Um, so it's easy because, you know, when someone really, um, really just lets you, lets you you know, kind of try things out, uh, you can have a lot of successes. And when you have a miss, 
It's not about, oh, it's like, what could we do different? Can we salvage that? Or what, what was, what was off? Let's do it again, a different way. Um, so, or let's not do it again. It didn't make sense. Move on. Next idea. So I think those are the biggest things that I would recommend because you're going to have a, a, just a, a more satisfying career. So something that I wanted to get clarity from, and I think you you're a great um, recipient for, for kind of to sit down with me and just discuss this. So I heard a lot of different talks about corporate America being bad. It's like, yeah, it's not the best place right now. There's a lot of people that are careerists. There's a lot of, um, there's, there's not a lot of inclusivity in the workspace, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many like negatives, right? But at the same time, I have a feeling that it's a great platform for a professional growth, right? So again, you've been on both sides. You work with startup, you work with both com- with bigger companies, right? You you know this. So tell me, like, what is negative or what's not working well for corporate America, and then what works really well? So maybe people that are currently listening to this and are considering, hey, here's this big company, they gave me a good offer, but sh- for my career growth, et cetera, should I go to work for that smaller company or for that bigger company? And what are the different cons and pros for, for that? Oh, oh, God, that's such a great question. And it's a tough one. I don't know if I have the right answer, but here's, here's what I think. Um, I would say that during the interview process, this is crucial. Um, during the interview process, ask the hard questions. Um, definitely mm-hmm. ask the hard questions because I think, you know, and, and, and if, if your triggers or inclusivity, um, you know, um, DEI, or um, you know, diversity, or whatever it might be. Whatever, ask the question. Say, hey, you know, like, what percentage of people here are of color, right? Like, or maybe it's on their website, and ask them why. But then be prepared. Like, you could have a mixed bag. But that's a great way to um, to kind of vet out to to vet a company that maybe is not a right fit for you. Because I think that in corporate America. Um, well, actually, and corporate America, it's not just big companies. I, I, I feel like a lot of these, these startups that get a lot of this funding, they can have their own toxic culture. And we've seen it with all of these layoffs. The money ran out and they just got rid of whole teams. So there's there's really not as much safety as sometimes people think, um, even though there's such growth on, on potential. Although I love startups. I think I many people who work at them and they're super happy working on many, many interesting projects. Um but on the flip side of like large, large companies uh, or corporations, um, I think they struggle. I think they struggle with things like um, inclusivity. But I do think there's a genuine interest to improve that um, for whatever reason. And it doesn't matter. Maybe it's self-serving reasons or maybe they really do just they care about their employees and they want their employees to feel heard. And so one of the ways that, or some of the ways that I've seen is have been, you know, they have those employee research resource groups, the ERGs. So um, we have them in NASDAQ. It's for for like uh, Latinos. I'm a part of that. For women, I'm part of that. Uh, black, um, you know, um, LBGTQ, you know, all sorts of the military, all sorts of like you. Honestly, join those. Like if you're, if you, if you're not sure, or you're thinking like, Hey, you know, be a part of it. Because I think sometimes people sit on the sidelines and they're like, this company's not inclusive, but they don't do anything. They're not, they're not leveraging that. And I think that, and if you join a company, they don't have it, ask to make it say, Hey, you know what? Um, there's, I would love to have, can we do an ERG? Can we set something up where people just like me, um, you know, can get together and talk about our challenges and ways that we can succeed here. I, I can't think of a company that would say no to that. Um, especially if you're bringing it up, but I think, I think, unfortunately, um, 
And I've done it too. I've complained about, oh God, that's this or that. Um, but you have to be part of the change. You do. Mm-hmm. If you really want to, um, if something is important to you and you feel like it's missing, um, then then initiate it or become or, or be a part of it and help uplift the programs that already exist. Uh, last time we had a chat, uh, we interesting we we discussed that we should talk about um, kind of again your transition, but not from the standpoint of uh, going to customer success, but also uh, from the standpoint of like you know looking for a new company with regards to like all this change that is happening in the market with this massive layoff. Etc. People are not sure what their next profession going to be, what they can do, you know, finding the new role, etc. Right. So first off, I think uh, maybe you can share with me, like, first, if I'm concerned that I have my job, but hey, can I be laid off, or am I next, or etc. So the question is, um, what should I do not to be that person that gets laid off? Right. Is there anything <laughs> that I should kind of look at, think about it, you know, to ensure that I'm not the guy going out. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, it's so scary, isn't it? Um, you could be working at a company thinking everything's fine. And all of a sudden they announce 5,000 people are going to get laid off. It's, it's really, really hard. And I think, I think um, it's, it's, it's a tough question because especially with, with big companies, sometimes I feel like, you know, you're just a name on a spreadsheet sometimes. And that sounds super negative, but it really does feel random that way. However, the way to kind of, I think this just goes back to um, not staying small. If you're that person that's presenting ideas, right? You're, you're like, if, if, if you're in a role that you like or in an industry that you like, you're feeling fulfilled, you're feeling passionate and you're engaged, then you're putting forth ideas and not just putting them forth, but seeing them through. That person who is like, or, or like actively collaborates, because I don't care, we were just talking about it, right? Like small companies, big companies, you know, they, they, they want collaboration. Those are ways that people are, the, the, first of all, they're gonna know who you are. They're gonna be like, oh, so-and-so, we've worked on all these successful projects together, or that's the person that is happy right. to have conversations, like civil conversations about maybe complex topics, uh, and then also brings forth ideas and then, and then sees them to fruition. That's, I think, the person that's that's going to escape for sure. If you really are um, not as engaged for whatever reason, or maybe you don't have the opportunity to, you're going to be at a disadvantage. And I think it's going to be a tougher to escape potential layoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a few times um, the importance of community and having a network and then also like kind of having a um, like a backup plan, et cetera. So um, I know, you know, before, uh, you know, changing the different companies, you always had some kind of gigs, et cetera. You always were looking into building your own brand, et cetera. So um, can you tell how you are looking at your personal career with regards to kind of that digital, um, you know, the footprints, the, the, the digital yourself, uh, your brand, as well as, um you know, how are you building your brand, building your community, looking for those kind of opportunities out there, sort of like pivoting from role to role, um, having those side hustles, et cetera. So, and again, um, there are some people that they're in the job, but maybe they don't like what they're doing and they wanted to change it, but they are so concerned that, hey, if I am changing this, 
I'm out of my insurance. I would not be able to pay my rent, etc. I'm so afraid. So what can be a certain action plan in the near future for them uh, to be able to uh, be safe with regards to, hey, I can be open to that opportunity and not be a concern about, um, you know, about that um, security sort of like that they all are, are looking at? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good question. And, and first of all, I would say that um, being liking what you do or finding something that you like you that like to do, I think is is very very critical. I'm not saying like, oh, this is what I was meant to do, or like like follow your passion because I don't think that always succeeds. But I think it's like it's good to have the side hustles um, because. Or like the interest on the side, because interest can sometimes develop into side hustles, because that's, if that's where your passion is. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's so funny because, um, you know, one of my coaches, is he's big on, he's like, make your side hustle the hustle, you know, because he's does not a fan of corporate America. <laughs> so anyway, but he had great right. advice because I was like, well, think about like, like, when's the right time to kind of switch like when, how do you make your side hustle the main hustle? And his advice, and this, this is very... Um, you know, prescriptive, but, but I, I, I definitely will share this because I think he was off spot on was just like, you know, you need to be killing it at your current job. You can't just check out. You need to still be doing performing there. But when your side hustle, like as it grows and grows and grows, if, if it gets to the point that it's the same or more consistently than what your regular job is, that's when you're safe to, to, to leave. And you're right about like, oh, I'm worried about insurance. And he, I asked him that. I'm like, yeah, what about those sort of things? He goes, insurance is not as expensive as everybody loves to say. And then when, it, when you're doing working this and you've already have all the pieces in place, like that side also can continue to grow. Um, and that's a, it's a very personal decision. But he said, that's really kind of like the way to do it. But, but again, don't stop working and then focus on this. You still need oh, to kill yeah. it at the day job yeah. and then work on that until it's a little that or higher. That's a great point. I I know a few people that I work with and they have uh, some kind of side project, uh, but they're not killing in their main job. They're not killing it. They just kind of doing it. They are kind of okay, but they're not killing it. And you always have that inside of you. Hey, hey, you know, I'm fine. You guys pursuing whatever you guys want. It's, you know, we're in a free country. Do whatever you, it's your free time, whatever. But I have this feeling of discomfort that, you're not going anywhere with your current job. It's like you are there, but you are not actually putting everything that you have to actually start killing it. And that sort of like creates uh, in, in the future that would create a certain decision-making uh, tree for me, right? It's like, hey, you know, yes, he had that side job, but if I wanted the raise or promotion or providing people with some additional responsibilities, I won't go that for that person because I know that they're not fully invested into yep. this, right? So just being fully invested, and if you are, then whatever you can have addition, what you're doing as your aspiration, your hobby, your additional income, why not, right? That's absolutely if it powers you. Why not? Hmm. Yep, agreed. Hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to clo close up with uh, some of the um, recent things or recent um, shift that you there you were saying in in the market, um, tech, um, maybe in, um, in customer success. So any, anything that you're currently are concerned about or some, some things that you are start noticing on the market, some shifts, some updates, some conversations going on, something that, um, you have on your mind that is interesting, um, you know, for the listeners, as well as, again, tell me what's, what's happening. 
What should I expect? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't have a crystal ball, but um, but yeah, you know, you know what I'm really noticing a lot is like you know, I I do a lot of networking uh, because I'm always I I always want to learn, and a lot of people reach out to me, uh, especially people who are either it's funny either transitioning into CS or transitioning into sales. It's funny they're like, can I talk to you about you know you've done some stuff? Can we talk? I'm like, oh, of course, let's have a chat. And so there's a lot more people like we were just talking about the, the, these layoffs that have happened, right? Um, and I think the, the biggest shift that I've, I've seen, there's, there's the, the market's flooded um, with a lot of a lot of great, great professionals looking for roles. And the trend that I'm seeing, and maybe this was always the trend, but I think it's more important than ever, is to network. That is the way. Network your way to your network. And you should be, put it this way, you should be building your network when you don't need it. Like right now while you're employed, Get that network strong. You know what I mean? You want to be, you know, you're keeping those relationships. But if you're, if you didn't, okay, you're a little late. It's still okay. Reach out to people, like people that are looking for roles. The number one thing I say is, listen, when I was, when, especially when I was pivoting to CS, I said, okay, what are like, I started the top 10 companies. What are 10 companies that I'm interested in? I started there and then I started looking at who are CSMs right. there. And I was reaching out to CSMs to find out about their experience. Can we do a 10 minute coffee? I got, so I have like 20 virtual coffees in one month, 20. And actually even more than that. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, yeah, I was working it, Michael. I really was. Cause I was just like, I wanted to understand. Cause you know what I cared about? Everyone says they have a great culture. How do I know? Go talk to the person that works there and you'll know right away. And I had literally two questions. What's your experience in the company? And what's your experience in the role? So I could learn a little bit more and then I let them go. But I got a ton of referrals um, because I was just like super genuine. I was very authentic. I respected, I had a 10 minute, ask for 10 minutes. They, they offered to stay on longer. They offered to refer me. And so anyway, the biggest trend, and, and again, I think maybe it's already been in place, but networking is the way uh, to find your role. If you don't have a role, and even if you do, maybe you're looking at that next hop, start leveraging your network, talking to, to people that you know and say, hey, how did you make your, your hop from this to that? That's how you get promoted or you how you promote yourself even, right? You can find those opportunities and be much more intentional about it. So if you're not doing it now, start doing it. And don't be that transactional person because I've had it in my in my, in my DMs. Hey, let's connect. And then can you write, literally, can you write me a recommendation? I don't even know you. You know what I mean? Can you get me a job at NASDAQ? Don't know you. So don't do that. Be authentic, engage, put the time in, work, work the, the network like a pipeline, right? With when, when you're in sales, you've got that pipeline of clients, touch points, authentic touch points, develop that relationship. And I think I'm telling you, that's the, right now the best way to get in your role. That's a great close up. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, it's been a pleasure and I had so much fun. So I appreciate Me you. Me too. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you.